Hello and welcome to this episode of the Event Manager Podcast by Skift Meetings, the podcast for curious event professionals embracing the future of business events. My name is Miguel Lamsch and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of Skift Meetings, and in this episode titled Technology That Helps Us Connect, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lawrence Coburn, the CEO of Twine. Our conversation revolves around building technology that helps bring people together. We talk about things like how the solo mo movement, the social local mobile movement, influenced the development of event tech. We talk about the blurred lines between developing tech for remote teams and for events. We talk about making a difficult choice to work on one specific feature or functionality or to create a product that does multiple things. We talk about hybrid events and specifically why connecting the online and the offline audiences for networking may not be something that is desirable at all. And we talk about why connecting people and serendipity are so important to the meeting industry. Hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out the other episodes of the podcast, which you can find on our website or by subscribing through your favorite podcast service. for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to the Event Manager Podcast by Skiff Meetings. I'm delighted to be joined today by Lawrence Coburn, the CEO of Twine. Lawrence, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Miguel. Thanks for having me on. So, Lawrence, we've known each other for, I'd say, probably about 10 years now. Um, and But I'd love to get a little short introduction about you, um, how you kind of found the meetings industry and, and how you've developed uh, within that and, you know, the kind of different businesses that you've held. Um, so our uh, listeners can kind of really understand who you are, where you come from. Yeah. So uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur for a, a long time. Um, I, I started my first company pretty much just out of grad school in, in 99 um, and drove out to San Francisco ran this thing. It was one of the first consumer rating sites on the internet. There's a Wikipedia page about it. It's called rateitall.com. I ran it as a profitable business for 13 years. Um, and it was a small group. We were making pretty good money. And then over the years, the, the vertical review sites like, like Yelp uh, in for, for restaurants uh, and uh, you know Rotten Tomatoes for movies, they started to eat into our business. And so the, the sort of the death blow to that company came in 2010 um, when there was a big Google search update and suddenly overnight we lost like 60% of our traffic. So I was literally left with a, a failing business and I'm like, what am I going to do now? Um, and so I remember I was sitting in a bar in San Francisco with one of my friends who's an engineer. The bar was called Double Dutch and my mobile phone was sitting on the bar. And I picked up my mobile phone and I'm like, you know what, VJ, the next great business is going to be built on this device. Um, and so that that was like the earliest inkling of, of how I got to events. Uh, and so started kicking around ideas for what could a what would a mobile first business look like in 2010. And we looked at 
mobile CRM. We looked at uh, um, kind of a like a Slack-like social network for companies. And then we looked at events. And events was the one that once we started to float the idea, it just took off. So that's how Double Edge was born. Yeah, fascinating. And so you came at it from a technology perspective, not so much an event perspective. Uh, perspective, but you, you're familiar with business events at this point. You, you kind of knew the ecosystem somewhat. Yeah, we were, we were outsiders and my co-founder Pank, uh, Pankaj Prasad joined soon after that. Uh, and, but we, we were definitely coming from the perspective of an attendee and not a host, uh, because we've been to a lot of events and from the, from the perspective of technologists. Uh, so yeah. And I think being outsiders helped us for a while. We, we brought a new, a new, uh, I don't know, a new perspective to the industry. But I think there was probably a point where we should have uh, pulled in more domain industry expertise. It would have helped us in the long term. People like yourself, people like Anne. Um, so I valued having that experience in-house on, on this go around with Twine. Super interesting. So tell us a little bit more about the Double Dutch history, because I mean, that's that's a really interesting story. And I think there's probably some parallels to you know, things that are happening right now. But how long was Double Dutch, you know, you founded it. When were we talking about when, when, when you founded it? What, what year was this? Yeah, so um, started with the idea in 2010, really uh, incorporated the business. We started as a side project of my previous business. We spun it off the cap table. 2011 became an independent company with a, you know, brought three engineers over um, the group that had been working on the side project. And we were a team of six or seven. Punk started showing up to work and um, became my co-founder on it. Uh, and we were a team of six or seven for two years. And then somewhere around middle of 2012, um, the thing just started to go. Um, and we, we were able to raise a lot of money early. And we were able to jam the accelerator to the floor in terms of hiring salespeople. And we had a really fun, cool product that didn't look like anything else. And so that that turned into like a historically fast growing business. I think there was, there was a moment, 2015, 2016, where there were two B2B companies growing faster than us. One was uh, Slack um, and one was Zenefits. And, and that's all categories of B2B software. So we grew tremendously quickly. Everything in the company broke. Um, we became uh, very uh, addicted to the growth that became part of our identity. And I think it caught up with us a little bit. We, you know, the, the short story is that we, um, we, we were the best app for too many categories, I think, like everything from association events to uh, corporate events to marketing owned events. We did some weddings. The app was that good in the early days. And then um, as you start to not focus, uh, you start to get product feature requests that pull in opposite directions. And so I think the product started to get bloated. I think it started to manifest itself in, in, in retention problems. And so we, you know, we just got out ahead of our, over our skis a little bit. And so we had to pull back. There was a series of layoffs. We had to get to break even because our investors made it clear there was no more money coming in. And all that stuff is very hard. So when I read the news today, these days, about what's happening at some of the the the, the, the faster growing companies of the past twelve months, you know, companies like Hopin and um, you know, I, I go right down the list, Hublot. Um, and so I, I have a lot of empathy for what those folks are going through because when you're growing that fast, Miguel, you have to get ahead of it. You have to hire people before you actually need them, 
or the business is going to is going to stumble. Um, and so when the growth doesn't keep up, suddenly you've hired out ahead and you have to make drastic moves to get the get the burn down. And that that affects real people. It affects lives. It affects livelihoods. It's a it affects the founder psyche. I can tell you from personal experience. And it's just it's just very difficult. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel for what folks are going through right now. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that with us. I think a lot of people will appreciate that. Um, and just to kind of wrap that up, then then you sold to Cvent. Um, and that was kind of after this, you, you were able to kind of demonstrate some some a tangible product, some some growth or something like that. And you were able to sell to Cvent and, and you, you exited quite well in the end, I imagine, right? Yeah. So it was a success story in that we we saved the company. We got to profitability. Uh, we had great customers. We had solid tech. We had an amazing engineering team, amazing people really across the board. And Cvent saw all that stuff and they very quickly decided to buy us. Uh, and, um, you know, Cvent was incredibly gracious with us. Uh, you know, Reggie on down, they were just, we had competed ferociously with them for years and it was it was probably pretty hostile at certain points, but once we started talking about teaming up, they um, they just were very gracious with us and they treated every single one of my people well. And I will never forget that, how, uh, how graceful they were with us. Um, and so uh, they did offer me the chance to come on board. Um, we, we had some discussions. It was gonna be a tough move for me to get to DC. So I, I stuck around for like a month, helped transition some stuff. I don't think I was the guy they wanted anyway. I think what they needed was the engineering leadership that we had, um, which was uh, excellent. And so um, I ended up taking a couple months off. I was pretty beat up, um, but you bounce back, think faster than you think you're going to bounce back. And I spent some time with the family, got some exercise, got some sleep and some books. And then I was ready to roll uh, with the next one, which was Twine. Right. Great segue. So let's talk about Twine. How did that come about? Is it just that you're a serial entrepreneur and you had to come up with a new kind of technology-based event product or was there more to it? No, um, it, probably more to it. There's a thread that goes through my career around the concept of serendipity and how, um, you know, particularly for introverted and shy people, uh, meeting people is scary, um, but can also have profoundly positive impacts on your life. And so I was interested in this and there was, a, I, I don't know if you remember, there was a whole movement of apps somewhere around 2008, 2009, it was called the solo mo movie, the, the social local mobile. And that was the four squares and the koalas and the loops. And like, there were, there were a lot of them. And I always found that category really fascinating. Those companies influenced Double Dutch quite a bit. I think one of the reasons Double Dutch was successful was that the, the social aspect of it made it easy easier to meet other folks at events. And so I, I wanted to just work on that. Like by the end, Double Dutch was doing a whole bunch of different things, registration and like a lot of like less exciting things to me. Uh, and I wanted to start a company that was just focused on what I saw as the core thing, which is serendipity. Really interesting. So how did that how did you evolve that? I mean, did you just sort of know the right people, got some programmers involved and kind of started working on it? Or how did it kind of become a product? Yeah, it's easier the next time. So uh, initially it was um, a, a woman named Diana Sai who worked with me at Double Dutch, um, who is now founded another company. It was Taylor, who you know, who's my our head of product over here at Twine. And so we set about it. Uh, we we're under non-compete with Cvent. And so we couldn't do anything at events. 
And so we started to explore just the concept of loneliness in general. And could this be a consumer app? Um, and we did that for a while. Then the pandemic happens. We start feeling immense pull towards events, towards uh, remote teams. So those two, you're going to hear those themes a lot from me. Um, the line is blurry between remote work and events. I think you, you're noticing this as well. Um, and so the pull brought us back in, ended up clearing my non-compete with Cvent. And uh, just starting testing out the app as a plug-in to larger event platforms, event tech platforms, because we we knew we didn't want to do the whole thing. We knew we knew we were late. We were sort of sitting on our hands when Hopin went like this because we couldn't we couldn't compete. We weren't we weren't allowed to. Uh, and so we we felt our best bet was to do one thing really really well, and that was the networking serendipity piece. That, that's kind of an interesting insight there. I mean, I guess you were forced to in some ways, but. I mean, you just mentioned with Double Dutch that you, at some point, you had to build out the entire kind of ecosystem around it, the registration and everything like that. And, you know, if clients are asking for it, it's hard to say no if enough clients are asking for it. But is there some value in, in you know, how do you see that choice of, hey, let's just stick to doing one thing really well rather than trying to build out the whole ecosystem? You know, how much of that is intentional and how much of that was just because you had the non-compete in place? Yeah, this is the classic this is one of the hardest things to decide as an entrepreneur is to, how long do you stay a point solution versus building out a broader offering? Uh, and the, the, like the, the pitch for the point solution is that if you only do one thing, you can do it better than anyone else. Uh, but also if you're a buyer, you don't want to deal with many, many vendors. So eventually you become a platform or you get acquired. And the hard decision is what moment do you start building a broader set of features? And, and so at Twine, you're right. We were sort of guided towards the point solution, Mark. I, I suspect that given the incredible demand that was coming from COVID and from the pandemic, uh, and given um, my team's access to capital, just proven entrepreneurs, good Rolodex in the industry of events, I suspect if we had not been blocked by non-compete, we would have been right back in the game with a virtual event platform. I, I suspect, but I don't know. It's hard to go back in time. Um, all that being said, I have no regrets. I, I like exactly where we are at this moment with one of the best serendipity networking apps in the world, I believe, with powerful partners. You saw the Zoom um, announcements from last week with a small team. Um, we... Of course, we went through some pain during this period. Every, every CEO, when the funding stops, you have to look at what are your expenses. Like We thought we were doing a Series A three months ago. Um, we had a fund that came inbound. They floated terms to us. It sounded good. Um, I flew to New York, met with the fund. Um, it looked like it was going to happen. In my mind, it was too early for a Series A, but if someone's offering you a nice check, you take it, especially if you, you have confidence in your engineering and your product team. Um, and so we were going to do that. And then the, all the gy market gyrations started happening and um, it disappeared. And it, there's, a, there's a lot of stories like that floating around of deals that were there that uh, just went away. And so fortunately for us, we were not at the end of our runway um, and we had time. And, and in fact, this most recent Zoom financing, this was a, we didn't have to do it um, because we've been sort of frugal with our cash. But, but it was there and we wanted to kind of make that relationship more official. 
So I, I just shared a lot, but like at, all this pain that's been happening in the financing market, we were not immune from that. We had to make some adjustments on burn uh, as well, small ones, because we're a small team. Um, but then we were able to sort of stabilize things and get ourselves the runway we need to to, to build a proper uh, product. Excellent. So good to hear that. But obviously, this is still a lot of uncertainty. Um, and I think you're you're one of the positive stories at the moment. So we have a few people that are still getting funding and, and seem to be profitable. I wanted to go back a little bit to kind of how the product has developed. Um, you know, Twine, uh, I've, I've seen Twine in many kind of shapes and, and forms, kind of from an early kind of beta beta version and product into kind of where it is today um you've kind of stepped away from being a standalone product um at least you know correct me if i'm wrong but it sounds like you're really going for it as a zoom also a slack app but it's kind of zoom app preferably um talk to me a little bit about that and and i kind of that connects a little bit with that kind of idea of being very focused but is that you know what what was the process there yeah, so I, I think I think you know this. We started with a web app. Uh, it was Twine for Web, um, and that business was growing nicely. We had we have great customers: Microsoft, Amazon, eBay. Solid growth, not explosive growth. Um, and so, and and when I compare it to Double Dutch, and Double Dutch is hard to compare it to. It was one of the fastest growing companies of its era. Uh, it wasn't growing fast enough. And so why was that happening? Well, a couple of things. Well, first of all, it was super noisy out there. There were a ton of funded companies. There were a lot of event tech platforms that had versions of what Twine did uh, that were built in. Um, there was a biz dev cycle where we were relying on channel to get to market for the most part. So we would uh, cut these channel relationships with other virtual event services companies or our tech technology companies. And sometimes they would win the deal and not win the deal. And so we were sort of dependent on, on that as to how fast we could grow. Can you and break so that I, down a little bit just for, for you know, for the uh, for the non-tech or non-kind of salespeople? So channels, you mean you're working with tech companies and they kind of get the clients or they get the events and they kind of bring you along as part of the package. Is that what you mean? Yeah, that's right. So I'll give you an example. Merits has been a great partner of us, OHARS, where they have lots and lots of customers and, and they would bring us into customer accounts. We would have successful deployments with those customers and it was great. And so we we ended up signing up uh, more partners uh, and we we worked with event technology platforms like where we've worked and in, in integrated with most of the big tech platforms out there, most of the big event tech platforms. Uh, and the, the pro of that is you don't have to hire a big sales team. The con of that is that you're not selling your own product. Partners are selling it and they're never going to be able to sell as well as we can because it's our product, right? Uh, and so there's, there's pros and cons. Um, and so the growth that came out of that model was good, but not explosive, not to the, not to my expectations of where we should be, um, where, of where we should be. And so we started to look at different channels um and the big the big decision we we made is that we were we were going to bring our product to where the people already were and by doing that um it led us to zoom it led us to slack and so you see a very intentional product pro, uh direction strategy for us to get closer to those big ecosystems um now zoom is the most exciting one because that's a new platform it's a new developer ecosystem um I think you know the backstory there. So we we acquired an early stage company that had special early access to build on Zoom. Um, 
And they were the one of the first apps to be able to build on the breakout room APIs, which, which enable the kinds of things that Twine cares about, mixing and matching people, serendipity, those sorts of things. Um, and so teaming up with them gave us about a six to nine month head start in that world. And now we have them officially on our team, Zoom on our team with the funding that we announced last week. So it all kind of played out exactly how we had hoped. Um, we learned a lot about the category, about the product, how to build a, a great uh, system for matching people, putting people together. And then suddenly this incredible once in a career distribution partner, Zoom, comes online. So we, we feel very good about where we are. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. Fascinating. So tell me a little bit about how you see this kind of happening in the future. And, and I guess I'm asking sort of two questions. One is how you see Twine evolving, but also how do you see kind of events evolving? Um, you know, you're, you're obviously betting on on Zoom being like kind of the, the big winner. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's a big question, right? Um, you know, if you look at the world in general, technology is playing a bigger role, not less. And the the period of the pandemic has been an acceleration. It's been a um, it, it's it's been an incredible acceleration of the power of tech. Just think about how your life has changed pre pandemic and post pandemic, or even during pandemic. My life has changed. In, like I would never do a Zoom call at seven a.m. back in the double edge days. I'd get into the office like eight thirty. I'd work hard until seven. Then I'd come home and try and unplug. And now it's my life doesn't look anything like that. It's like I can stack twelve meetings a day on Zoom, and, and they're all pretty good. And then so the, the the acceleration, the pace that technology has brought to our world is like it's not going away. In the world of events, um, it's a little more muddled what the future is because. We have an entire industry of people. We have an industry that's run the same way for a thousand years, mostly, right? Bringing people together around content or products and, and letting the magic happen. And that model hasn't changed much because it's not broken. It works. Um, and then I think when you combine that with the human uh, desire to be social creatures, um, we are definitely in a snapback period right now where you ask most planners and they'd much prefer to go face-to-face -face. and the, and the, and the, the revenue of face-to-face -face dwarfs the revenue of virtual today. Uh, so the question is, are we in a snapback period where the pendulum has wildly swung back to in-person and it's going to settle somewhere kind of more positive for virtual than it was before the pandemic? That's what I think. I, I think that like, even with the pullback, in demand for virtual event tech, we are still, the pie has gotten much bigger. Is it 10X bigger since the beginning of the pandemic? Maybe. Um, so I think you have to sort of uh, take the doom and gloom of the recent headlines with a grain of salt and realize how much progress we've made as an industry over the last two years. Um, and I'm optimistic about it. I think we have a whole industry of event professionals that have gotten a crash course in, in how to be a technologist and how to think like a technologist. 
And these people are skilled. Those skills are not going to disappear. Um, so I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see um, kind of inevitable continued growth of virtual formats. Um, and I think we're heading towards more platform shifts. I think the next great VR platform shift will happen. AR is going to come along. I just think technology is going to be a, a much larger part of how we run events than ever before. Fascinating. And I think uh, we, we've heard a lot of these stories. Uh, yeah, like you say, if you look at virtual events before the pandemic and virtual events now, in most cases, there's still a, a bigger pie, right? There's still an increase in, in, in potential there. It's just if you compare to the peak and, and when the companies had you know lots of hires, et cetera, then, then it's hard to make that comparison right now. I guess there's also sort of pendulum in the other in the opposite direction when it comes to the virtual virtual side of companies right so they're also kind of suffering right now you, you sent me an interesting question last night about if you could change one thing about the event industry what would it be um if it's all right with you let, let's talk about that a little sure. bit i i think um so an obvious thing that i would not change is how the event professional does their job i i think if you talk to a bunch of event tech people you always get the same grumble, which is, man, event professionals, they just don't understand technology. They just don't get it. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's the case. I think event professionals um, understand people and they understand how to deliver experiences. And if tech is the best way to do that, they are going to embrace the tech. And you, we saw this during the pandemic. I think the thing that has hurt our industry from, from an event technology perspective is how episodic events are. Um, it's, I've heard this analogy of you build the giant purple uh, castle um, once a year, and then you tear it down and you rebuild it again next year, but with slightly different uh, kind of like uh, architecture. And that has been the event industry and from a technology perspective. And it's very, very hard to build world-class lasting software companies in an environment where there's so much customization. There's so much one-off. There's so much year to year. And like, there's so much, we're going to use you in 2022, but there's all these cool companies. And like, you're going to have to compete again to win the business in 2023. Like Salesforce, for example, once they sell that software, they're not going anywhere. They're used every single day. And so th this is why the CRM category has been a better category than event technology. It's the retention. And and the, and the secret under the hood with all of the layoffs that I'm happening, it's about retention. It's about all those contracts that came in during the pandemic. How many of those are evaporating uh, now? Um, and I I don't know if you saw Julius talking about some event tech exec that it was talking about 85% churn. Like you read that as a founder and you're you're just sent into like kind of convulsions because you can't you can't build a business, you can't build a business with 30% churn. And with 85% churn, you should be shutting that thing down tomorrow. Um, so that that's the thing that I would change is how do we make this industry less episodic? How do we make it more interwoven into the businesses that we are part of? How do we make events become communities? How do we make the, the magic last for the two or three days? Um, and I think that's been a technology failing. I think it's been an organizational design failing too many times that event planners are separated out from the rest of the business uh, and and they're not tied into the marketing initiatives or the sales initiatives or the HR initiatives. And 
And I think that's been a mistake. And I think that's created sort of this, this culture of, uh, of ephemerality, if that's even a word. Um, and that, that's been the hardest thing, I think, um, yeah. as and, a technologist. I mean, do you see a solution to that? Because part of me is thinking, that's just how events work, right? That's why you get excited about events, because they're not day-to-day, -day, right? If they become day-to-day, -day, then are they going to be as exciting? And, and, and is there anything that's going to change technology in the way that's going to enable us to then develop it better or develop technology better that kind of uh, mitigates that in some way? Yeah, and that may end up being the answer. And I think the repercussions of that is that there will never be a there will never be a truly world-class technology company built in the category. And I know my friends at Cvent would, would argue with that and they, and, and they could, they, they have a case to make that they become one of those kinds of companies. Um, but, but the way they do it, right. They do it with five-year contracts because um, you can't, you can't do it in a way where you're having to resell the software every year. Um, yeah, so that yeah, that may just be the case. Um, I wanted to go back to the moment to something you said earlier, and I think it really goes into you know the way you're working with Twine, which is this blurred line between remote teams and events. So we talked about the challenges with events for developing technology. Um, Twine seems very you know easy to then use in a more day-to-day -day work environment. Um, and, and I guess when it comes to virtual events, that, that just seems to apply to many different things. How do you see that working? Do you see kind of anything that's been developed as, as a virtual event platform just easily kind of transferring into a remote uh, workforce or distributed workforce kind of context? Yeah. So I, I think as entrepreneurs, you are looking for the answer to the question, why now? Why, why is now the time for this product, this company, this team to go like this. And one of the bets you have to make is like, what is the path that we're going to follow? What is the most durable change to society that is going to provide the tailwinds for your business, for your product? And, and I remember, um, I think it was middle of 2021, we had a board meeting and we, Taylor and I put up two, two forks on the road. Like it was one slide with like, literally there's a path and there's two forks and there was events and there was remote work. And for us, it was, it was, we were seeing some frightening signs that as COVID would ebb and flow from week to week, the demand for twine would ebb and flow. And so when COVID uh, kind of subsided, uh, uh, suddenly in-person was back and nobody was buying twine. And when COVID sparked up and there'd be a new strain, the new strain, uh, people would buy twine. And that's sort of a terrifying, like we don't control our own destiny kind of thing. And so we started to think about, okay, this remote work thing, that doesn't seem to be going away. And oh yeah, a critical part of helping remote and distributed teams execute is going to be internal events. And so that was the way like, okay, we have the expertise, all of this tech, all of this domain knowledge with Anne and Zola and people that are from the industry can be applied to this new space. Um, and so we started charting a course towards uh, kind of more internal event use cases, remote work use cases, like new hire onboardings, uh, team meetings, all hands. Are these events kind of their events, but it's, it's hard to know, right? It's not like a, it's not like a trade show. Um, so that, that was kind of like how we started charting our course and, and building our brand and 
starting to talk to more people ops leaders as opposed to only event professionals. Uh, and yeah, and uh, we feel good about that decision. It's fascinating. I think I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I wanted to get your take on on hybrid. Uh, and of course, hybrid events can mean lots of different things. We could go for that kind of really, uh, you know, intense hybrid where you're connecting different audiences, or you can go for a more, much more looser kind of view on hybrid. But I notice you don't mention hybrid lots or, or hybrid a lot or in-person events. Are, are you seeing a future where you can use Twine or, or some kind of version of Twine for both kind of in-person and online audiences, or do you think it's really more for online and then? the day-to-day -day kind of hybrid workforce is, is really where you're focusing on? Yeah, we're, we're experimenting with hybrid. We have a customer that just ran an in-person event with a large remote component and they set up kiosks and people could drop into the kiosks and connect with audience members from around the world. Uh, I think like five or seven people tried that, right? So like you, once you get into the fog of the event, like you're you're just not looking to go into a phone booth and jump on a Zoom, right? Like you're just not, right? Like, um, so we haven't yet cracked the code on hybrid. I, I So actually that's not exactly true. I, I think there's a clear in-person experience that a, a products like Twine could facilitate. And there's definitely clear virtual experiences. What we haven't cracked the code on yet is, is crossing the stream. Like um, when does it make sense to try and mix your your virtual attendees with your in-person ones. And I'm not sure anyone has cracked that code. And from a, an event professional's perspective, I'm not even sure that it's it's like within the scope of the job to think about that kind of stuff. There's so much other things going on. And, and uh, so I, we're kind of wait and see on hybrid. I think if you had asked me 12 months ago, yeah, of course the future is hybrid, but now the the obstacles of how to plan these experiences. What is the tech that can cross the streams? Like, I just haven't seen it yet. So maybe we're just not smart enough to figure this one out. It, it may be one of those problems that doesn't need solving, or it's it maybe it isn't a problem to start off with, right? So, so yeah. I think in my view, the go ahead. I, I like the two tracks. I, I think two tracks can work. I think the accessibility of remote is powerful. The reach is powerful, and if you're having an in-person event. I think there's something very powerful about opening it up to the world, but I just think that that remote track is going to look different um, and you shouldn't try and blend it into the same experience. Yeah. And I, 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 I tend to agree with you. I think when it comes to content consumption, I think there's an argument for um, both audiences chatting and kind of engaging with each other in, in a set relatively democratic way because in many senses they're all online right if you're sitting in the room on your phone or if you're at home on a platform you can still engage with the content and ask questions and do that kind of thing but you mentioned you were experimenting with um in person as well talk me through how that works if you're using um you know twine to facilitate that serendipity in an in-person kind of environment yeah, well, this was the first iteration of, of the product. So way back when we were first starting the company, the vision I mentioned was like a consumer app where you're connected. It's not, you know, we're not selling into businesses. It's just an app that you can download. And so one of the ideas we were actually starting to execute right when the pandemic hit was this idea of these pop-up events that happen in, in cities and eventually all over the world where the software, the app, the Twine app guides you to this pop-up event, you scan yourself in, 
a face pops up on your phone and it's, it, it's a buddy. It's, it, it's Miguel. And so I, I find Miguel in the venue, like face to face, phone buzzes, a, a icebreaker questions pop up. And it's basically a software guided IRL in real life experience, um, all based around these pop-up events within, within a city. And so obviously the concept has changed a lot since then. Um, but we were trying to do, we were thinking about the whole world was going virtual and how do we go the other way? Um, and that was before the pandemic. And then the, the pandemic tailwinds just pulled us so hard uh, towards virtual. Um, and that's where we ended up. So we, we tested this concept at a couple of events. We saw, we did a couple in San Francisco. We did one in New York. Um, we actually had one for 300 people planned for March 12th, 2020, if you can believe it, right when the pandemic was hitting New York. Um, and so I think there's something there. I think we're probably going to hold off for a while. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we built that app. So we know it's doable. Okay. And do you think that this will become a version of Twine or is this a spinoff or what, any ideas on, on what that becomes? You know, it's a long career, Miguel. And so like it may circle back. We still have that code. We wrote that code. Uh, the app is really cool. The experience was uh, kind of exhilarating. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I love that. I think that's that's a really interesting idea worth exploring. Very, I, I feel like in my, in my point of view, from my point of view, kind of a more futuristic way of looking at the potential of events than I think a lot of other um, technology kind of lets you, uh, you know, it all lets you, lets you go so far. Any other thoughts on the kind of future of events? Um, and I'm looking for kind of this futuristic vision that I think you've just shared there and any other kind of ideas that, that you think will take us, you know, the next iteration, five, 10 years from now. Yeah. So I, you know, um, I, I think we need to, to force ourselves in these conversations to think non-incrementally. And so what is the world going to look like when we are all wearing contact lenses with digital overlays and, and, and these lenses are connected to the cloud and I'm able to look at you and see an overlay of who you are and what you've done and how we know each other and what are some things we could talk about. And, and so like that, that's just one potential lens on the future. Like th this is the, this is the AR vision of the world where um, in-person remains the thing, but it's all software assisted and, and everybody, just like everybody has a smartphone today, everybody is going to be equipped with these super, this digital overlay superpower. Like that's exciting. That, 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 that leads me to a future world where in-person assisted by software is always going to be very, very exciting. But the thing that sort of tilts the argument for me for a world where we're, we're, we're more participating from our, our homes is the access. And I think that for me, the definition of a life-changing event, the best events that I've ever been to in my life have been the ones where I've met a person or multiple people that have changed my life in some way, that have changed my perspective on the world, that has changed the arc of my career, that has changed the arc of my company, that has changed the way I think about things. Um, and to me, that is the essence of our industry, of the event industry is, I mean, you're working on this project, right? The moments that matter, architecting environments that these collisions happen, that change people's lives, that change the world. And that, to me, that's the essence. And, and the only way you can do that at scale with the true reach of the humans in this world that we live in is virtual. And it's because of the access, it's because of the reach, it's because 
Anybody from Nairobi to Paris to New York City can participate in the same experience. And so we're very early days. Like we're sitting here in front of tiny little box screens on a Zoom. Like it's going to get better than that. It's going to be immersive. We're going to be wearing haptic suits. We're going to be able to feel cold and hot and feelings and, and uh, heartbeats and all that stuff. Um, and is it five, 10, 15 years? Um, it's going to get there. So I think the future of events is virtual. I think that in-person will be a cool VIP experience layered on top. And I think the immersiveness of the tech that's going to drive that is going to make a world where you are able to meet the people that can change your life uh, all from your living room. So anyway. I love that vision. I think that's that's super futuristic. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to be a bit picky about what aspect of it. And, and bear with me because I think there might be an interesting uh, segue here. So I totally get it. Um, you know, we want to have access to anyone from anywhere, but in order to have access to, and, and let's imagine a somewhat unbalanced relationship here. So you have the, the founder that wants to have access to the, the big buyer or whatever it is, you know, whatever situation, how do we get the people that we want to have access to, to give an event time? Because everything mm -hmm. you said makes sense. But the flaw that I see it is, is the people that others want access to, the people that you want to meet that are interesting. How do you get them to stop and engage with you and with the event if they too can have access to anything at any time? I think that's a, that's a big issue there, right? Yeah. And I, I think software can help with that. I think the, the, the power dynamic is always going to be... Uh, it's always going to be a factor in networking environments, right? Everybody wants to, to play up. Everybody wants to meet the people that can help them. And you, you're maybe you can't necessarily help those people, but I'll give you a very simple example from my own experience attending events that tells me that it's possible. So I, a couple of years ago, um, it was probably 2016, 2017, double H was going like this, um, we had $50 million in the bank. Uh, we were hiring 15 people a week and we had offices all over the world. And my problem as the CEO was I was running out of people to talk to that like understood my problems, that, that understood the problems of that scale and that velocity of growth. I, I didn't know any of those people anymore. Um, at, at early stage, there's lots of people going through what you're going through. But when you're at that sort of rocket ship stage, like you're kind of on your own. And so I ended up, I was invited to speak at a, a web summit event in New Orleans. Um, and they, it was a very guided thing where there was like, I had a special track and there were places that I needed to be and go. And, and I show up at this bar in New Orleans and there's, there's like 50 people in the bar and I start talking to some of them. And it turns out every single person in there was the CEO of a series C or series D company and similar life age of, of, of double Dutch, uh, similar problems, similar growth trajectory. And like, I could not get enough of this. And there was no power dynamic. We we're all going through the same thing. And what, what they were able to do, Web Summit was able to recreate a software like scale because it's so big and they were able to attract everybody that through segmentation and matching and personalized uh, agendas, they were able to put us all together in a room. And so I think there's value. I think no matter how powerful or not powerful you are, software can help match you with people that are going through similar things so you can talk it out. And that's 
that's um, that that's an answer to that question. I think. No, sounds sounds fascinating, and I think that's that's a great case study. I also know of a few, you know, I guess high priced small scale events are a big thing, right? And and when you have the people with commonalities in a room, then I think that that makes sense, right? That then you get that. That's also the case for the micro hyper targeted event. Like, let's get people that um, it's it's not IMAX. It's it's people that have uh, are trying to build uh, an event series for an associations that have been around for. 75 years that are based in the Northeast of the United States, like that level of hyper-targeting. And then you get people who share those, that, those perspectives and uh, magic can happen. Fascinating. Yeah, I think that that's a really good case study. Well, I'm, I look forward to seeing how, how Twine develops and, and particularly now, you know, connecting with, with Zoom events. I think that's going to be really interesting. I wanted to quickly get your, your thoughts on, on Zoom events. Um, I, 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 you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't feel like Zoom events has really broken through in the minds of most event planners. You know, they're looking at some of these companies that maybe rode high during the pandemic. Zoom seems to have this connotation of a webinar. And I think a lot of the marketing techniques and the marketing uh, kind of angles of, of, of virtual technology companies is, you know, you want to be more than a webinar, more than Zoom, and therefore, you know, use this product. But Zoom has sort of quietly or not so quietly been developing Zoom events. And it sounds like it's capable of some pretty interesting things. What's your view on that? Yeah, I, so I, I've seen under the hood on Zoom events, and it's it's powerful. Um, and, and you know, I, I think you know this, but my uh, co-founder from Double H worked on that product, Pankaj Prasad, and he knows what he's doing. The team around him knows what they're doing, and they have been quiet. Uh, but what they've done is they've strung together some really scalable pieces. Uh, and they do have event prof influence on that product. And they're able to price more competitively than everyone else because they have these other business units that are able to subsidize. Uh, and oh yeah, just about everybody in the world has Zoom installed on their desktop and knows how to use it. So it's not another system that you have to create an account for. So I would say watch out for Zoom events. And, and I think that probably some of the struggles that Hopin are going through have to do with Zoom events coming on the scene and offering uh, a bunch of the same pieces for a better price. Um, so I, I've been really impressed with what I've seen so far. I think it's still early days for them, but I know it's growing very, very quickly. Yeah, we're definitely going to be following up with the Zoom events team and then hopefully covering that a little bit more. I'm definitely interested in, in seeing that, seeing what happens there. Lawrence, I uh, just want to thank you for your time. It's been a really interesting conversation. Anything else you want to mention or any any other um, kind of news that you'd like to share uh, before we wrap up? No, I, I think that's it. It's always good to talk to you. I think you have a very subtle perspective on the on the industry and, um, and uh, you've been talking to some interesting folks. And so let's keep the conversations going. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Wanted to get to that last question, um, get your recommendation for another guest to be on the podcast, because we like to have our, our guests recommend other guests and kind of get some new faces uh, joining us. Yeah, I think my my uh, Double H co-founder, Pankaj, would be an interesting guy to talk to. He's been on the inside um, at Salesforce. Um, he's been on the inside at Zoom events. Um, now he's going early stage again. He probably has some learnings about some of these big giant epic software companies think about events 
Brilliant. I would love to connect with him and, and kind of um, have him on the show and then get his view. He sounds like somebody who could really offer a, a different perspective and very complimentary. So thank you very much for the recommendation. And uh, once again, thanks for being with us today. And uh, to everybody listening, hope you enjoyed our conversation. And don't forget to check out the other episodes. Lawrence, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Miguel. See ya.